This reading is chosen in connection with, the word, with what the Word of God teaches us about believing a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins from the Apostles' Creed. That's the Lord's Day we're going to uh, pay attention to this afternoon. It's Day 21, but we'll first read Isaiah chapter 54. <clears throat> Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children as the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your inheritance, your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble but not because of me, whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. <clears throat> we read there of the increase of the church and in the image of a, a tent that needs to have its stakes uh, 
put out further and its uh, ropes lengthened to accommodate a growing family. Now we'll read Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll pay, find it on page 535 of the Book of Praise. <clears throat> what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself, by his Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers all and every one as members of Christ have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes as you grow up in the church and you understand that there are different Christian churches, there are Reformed, you're a member of the Reformed church, but you realize there are also Roman Catholics and there are Pentecostals and there are Evangelicals, you know a long time ago the Reformed were called the Evangelicals in the Reformation. It's a beautiful term, but it seems as though some of the people who name themselves Evangelicals know all about Jesus Christ, but hardly know of the Father as Father. And they don't speak so much of the Spirit, and Pentecostals speak so much of the Holy Spirit that they seem to know a little of the Father and the Son. And somewhere in there, the Reformed have to also be fitted, and if you would look at the Catechism, it seems like we have very little to say about the Holy Spirit. But then you could criticize the Apostles' Creed that way too, which is this historic creed which reflects the very early instruction and in baptism of new converts in the church and the things that they were taught and then had to repeat back when they made profession of their faith. It goes way back to the late 100s and early 200s, at least the beginnings of it. And all that has is I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the key thing in realizing that the church was not shortchanging the Holy Spirit is to relate the gathering of the church, the communion of the saints, 
and the forgiveness of sins to the work of the Holy Spirit who brings these things into reality on this earth. And then suddenly the confession of the Holy Spirit opens up. It's much richer and fuller. That's how we want to approach Lord's Day 21 this afternoon. Our Lord's Day says the Son of God gathers His church, but He does it by His Spirit and Word. It says that the communion of the saints means communion with Christ and sharing in all His treasures and gifts, but all those things come into our lives by the Holy Spirit, who's the primary gift. And then our fellowship with each other as well needs to nurture the fruits of the Spirit in order to be Christian. And even the forgiveness of sins that is found in Christ is applied to us personally by the Holy Spirit who then gives us the assurance in our hearts of forgiveness personally and who makes us alive in Christ by the power of God. So this afternoon we turn to our confession of the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins and do so in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We first remember that we confess I believe in the Holy Spirit and only then have we found that living bond between Christ and us that allows us to confess the amazing miracles of the church, of fellowship or communion, and of forgiveness in real time and space. So let this then be our message this afternoon. In the fullness of the Spirit, we confess the miracle of Christ's present work. In the fullness of the Spirit, we confess the miracle of Christ's present work. We'll first see the miracle of church membership, then the miracle of church Fellowship, and lastly, the miracle of church sponsorship. So, miracle number one of Christ's present work is of church membership. And you notice how we confess these things. I believe in the Holy Spirit, just like we say, I believe in the Father, I believe in the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, is to put our trust in the three divine persons. But we say, I believe a holy Catholic church. And that construction is a meaningful difference in English to say I believe a holy Catholic church because if I say I believe in a holy Catholic church, it could be misinterpreted as if I put my trust in the church itself. It doesn't have to mean that, but it's clearer if we just say I believe our holy Catholic church. And though we don't put our trust in the church, we have to recognize what the scriptures teach. The church is the the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. And though we don't put our trust in the church, we are to submit to those whom the Lord puts over us. Hebrews 13, verse 7, our leaders. But we don't believe in or put our faith in the church. At the same time, when we say, I believe a holy Catholic church, we are confessing something miraculous. And this is what we say, I believe that the Son of God gathers, defends, and preserves his church. So therefore, I believe that there always will be a church, an assembly of believers. Just like you can look around right now and see an assembly of believers to which you belong. And the world then will never come down to just one or two believers, 
but an assembly of believers. Though they may be few, there will be an assembly worshiping God because the church is the assembly of God's kingdom. So I believe that means I confess something. I know that this is true more certainly than I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. With a certainty of faith, I put my trust in the word of God because it comes from the mouth of God and I believe what he says about the church, that it's true. Well, what did he say? He said to Peter, on this rock, the rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the rock of Peter's corresponding confession to that revelation, which echoed what he had been taught, that Jesus is the Christ. On that rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So you should have this confidence and assurance then, the gates of hell, or the powers of hell, Satan, all his demons, will not destroy the church ever. Jesus said so. Jesus said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But in this world, this world of sin and misery, the present work of Jesus gathering the church is a miracle. Who would naturally gravitate to the teaching that he is a sinner condemned by God? No, I'm a good person. I know how to make things up to God or to the gods. No one wants to condemned sinners, helpless sinners, and useless helpers of God when it comes to salvation. But the Spirit moves us to humility. So let's restate what we said above. Jesus said it, then insert. The Holy Spirit seals it on my heart, and then continue, I believe it. That settles it. We say, I believe that whatever God has revealed is true. And he's told us that the Son of God out of the whole human race from the beginning of the world to its end gathers, defends, and preserves himself by his spirit and word in the unity of true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. So let's simplify that. I believe that the Son of God gathers a church chosen to everlasting life. Jesus is always bringing together an assembly of believers. That's what the church is, the assembly of the kingdom of God. Now, what are we saying? How about this? I believe the doctrine of election. I believe the doctrine of election. I believe that God found it in the depths of his heart to love lost sinners and save them for all eternity. What a comfort that is for me. What a strength that God founded in his heart to love me. That's the most basic statement of the Lord's Day. Now that does not yet make a church because the Son of God does more. He puts these saved sinners together. And he puts them together in a very complete manner because he gives each one the same fundamental faith in God. So they share that and then he unites them and his spirit and word have the miraculous power to change hearts that are completely dead to the call of God and resurrect them to respond to the call. And the miracle of new birth by the spirit and word starts the process. And then that faith comes to life and delights in the word of God. And that faith finds other believers from any nation, any people, any time. You can meet them in person or you can meet them in, from their writings. It's a wonderful thing to do. 
And that faith feels the unity with other believers. It finds someone else and says, this person too believes in God and loves his word. Just put yourself for a moment in a secular institution of post-secondary education. You go to university far away from your family and you don't know anybody. And for a few weeks you're going to class and then somebody speaks up in something in class and you go, hey, I should say something to them in the hallway. And then you do and you find out there's a true believer here too, another one. Wow, that's just really gratifying. And then you praise God. And God has, by putting true faith in your heart and true faith in another believer's heart, he's knitted you together. There's a bond that forms and it's not just a bond of, oh, this person likes what I like. It's a bond formed by the Spirit of God. And that's the miracle of church membership. The Lord God does this for sinners. If you think back to our reading from Isaiah 54, it's written for a people about to go into exile. They're disobedient time after time. And yet in grace, God found it in his heart to promise what's in the verses 1 to 3 calling his church the barren one because she doesn't bear children for the Lord. And then he says, you know, compared to other nations that maybe are doing well, they're not doing well. And he says, no, now you should start singing because the children of the desolate woman would be more than the children of the married woman and you're going to have to enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains, lengthen the cords, strengthen the stakes because the tent's going to be bigger, the wind's going to be strong and going to blow it over, but you're going to need more space because I'm going to build my church. You'll expand to the right and to the left, 54 verse 3, and God would take in the nations and the descendants would inherit the nations. That's God making his church fruitful as her husband, verse 5, your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And notice how firmly the Lord promises. He speaks of his electing love. And he says, verses 9 and 10, To me this is like when I said the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so now I'm swearing I'll never again be angry with you or rebuke you. The mountains can melt away and the hills can be removed, but my kindness, my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. And... This is a miracle. It's a miracle. Every word a miracle for sinners to hear these things. When you know yourself, when you're convicted of your sin and transgression, you read this, God promises not to be angry. How can that be? That is a miracle. And it only comes through the miracle of his son, as we will see. God's promise here is so wonderful that even verse 13 includes the children. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. You want to see children who are not at peace? Fathers do not exasperate your children. How do you exasperate them? By not raising them in the fear of the Lord. Because that's the flip side. Do not exasperate your children, but raise them up in the fear and discipline or instruction of the Lord. And so their children, verse 13, would know him too. That's another miracle. Each child in faith, a miracle. And now look at the end of what we confess in this Lord's Day 21 
Answer 54, I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. This is assurance. God's word says it right here in Isaiah 54, just one example. His spirit seals it, I believe it. That's how you are to approach the Lord. He told you, he called you, he said you're mine. Who are you to say I'm not? Take him at his word. And the mysterious thing is that his very own spirit uses the very word to make us sure of the word. It is a miracle. Now to help us understand this, I want to offer you a contrast here. Consider an an Anabaptist confession from 1534. So Anabaptists today, perhaps Mennonites, the Amish, Hutterites, and more. And some lovely and wonderful people, but early on, some very um, teachings that are hurtful for the faith. Standing before the city council of Nuremberg, Hans Dink in 1534 said, I dearly wish that I had faith. Indeed, if I say today, I believe, I might nevertheless tomorrow prove myself to be a liar. Because he might not believe tomorrow, you see. Or maybe he didn't believe when he said he did. So he could not state that he had assurance of salvation and assurance of faith. It's very sad. Now another Anabaptist was more positive. Around the same time, this is 1500s, he wrote that he was a member of the church. He was sure. But this church, he said, was totally invisible. He said, for this church I long in my spirit. I cannot, however, point out where it is. But I am sure that I am in this church wherever I am. Therefore, I do not seek this church nor Christ at any specific place, neither here nor there. Well, that's also not what we confess. We seek the beautiful church of saved sinners in real time and space where the Spirit truly changes people. That doesn't mean that every single member of the church is elect of God for all eternity. He puts us together. And he calls us all to believe the same gospel. You look for the church where the whole counsel of God is proclaimed from his word, where the sacraments are rightly administered, and where church discipline is faithfully administered in love. It's a real thing, a real work of Jesus Christ on earth, an ongoing miracle in the midst of this world where the prince of the power of the air flies about looking to devour all Christians and where the governments of this world persecute the church more and more, sometimes less, sometimes more. In the fullness of the Spirit, we confess the miracle of Christ's ongoing, present, real work in the fact that we are members of his church, that he gathered us together and gave us true faith. And let's be awestruck that we could say, I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of his church, only by God's grace. And you truly have to see it that way, that church membership is a miraculous gift of God's grace and spirit for you. Then secondly, the miracle of church fellowship. Question answer 55. Eve concerning the forgiveness, no, sorry, the communion of saints. 
First, that believers all and everyone as members of Christ have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. And second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. So the miracle here is that the living Christ, who's at the right hand of God, and it's such a wonderful thing that we, we hear about that a lot, because that's all over the New Testament. Jesus Christ is king, he rules, he rules his church, and he rules all the world for the sake of his church, and he sends down gifts to his church by his spirit. Now the first gift is true faith, by which we have communion with Christ. We already saw that this is a miracle. It's not just part of the normal nature of things. Now the rest of the gifts flow by way of this channel of faith. God puts the faith in place and through that spirit and word worked channel he brings other gifts of love that we are duty bound to use for the benefit of the other members. And we can be very practical here. Some of you have a wonderful gift to just stand by the doors and greet guests and really just make them feel welcome. And other ones have different gifts. Maybe the gift of visiting the sick, bringing a word of comfort. And someone else has a great gift for organizing events that lead to good fellowship and the growth of fellowship in the church. And someone else has a great gift for teaching the youth, reaching out to them, or gifts of evangelizing and bringing the gospel. Gifts of thinking through the church's teaching and answering opponents. We want our pastors to be able to do that. We especially want our professors to be able to do that. There could be uh, gifts of discernment in difficult ethical situations. You just know when you're faced with this difficulty, go to this brother or go to this sister and they will listen and talk you through it. And all these gifts as part of the church, as practiced in love, are wonderful works of God. And the people of God become as the hands and the feet of Christ. And the Holy Spirit's life is coursing through their souls and bodies and making them living letters of Christ toward each other in the church. And so when that's happening, then readily and cheerfully they promote the benefit and well-being of the other members. That's a miracle. That's just like the miracle of repentance where you think, I want this. But you step back and you think, but this person needs this. And I'm going to give myself to what they need and God will supply my needs in his way and time. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit in action today. The Spirit of Christ, who is therefore with Christ, doing Christ's present work on earth. That's what it really is when that kind of love is flowing out. And please don't ever take for granted the love of others in the church. And also do give your own love faithfully, readily, and cheerfully because you are thereby participating in God's miraculous work of the communion of saints. You have some familiar, familiarity, I think, with the image of the body and its various parts all working together. And that, that those are in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians 4, 
the treasures and the gifts of Christ after his ascension. The first in the list are the apostles and the prophets, and they're called the foundation of the New Testament church. That's why we don't have them here anymore, but we have the constitution of the church, the scriptures that they gave us. And then came the ongoing offices of the pastors, elders, and deacons, and they guide the expression of all our gifts. But the Holy Spirit listed and enlisted the men in authority as the first gifts. That's hard to accept in our anti-authority culture. That's hard to accept in our anti-authority hearts. I expect that many of you are plagued with the same disease that I'm plagued with, and that is when someone tells you to do something, you want to think of your own way and do it in your own time and not really obey. You don't want to feel like you're under someone else's authority, and yet we're all under the authority of God and Christ, under the authority of our office bearers as well. We have to pray for them and honor them. And in this day and age, we must all the more raise up our children to become such leaders. It's a burden in one sense, but it's also one wherein Jesus promises to help us. This whole world needs better leaders. Godly people who step forward. And be so thankful for those who do and pray for them to be faithful because they're going to be in the public eye and they're going to be challenged and tempted. And they're going to need a lot of courage. Pray for them and pray that God might raise up such young people amongst ourselves. The churches greatly need pastors, elders and deacons. So train your children, particularly then your sons, for leadership. Not just for playing sports and making money. We know how to train them to do that. But for leading in all situations, for being godly, spiritual people who are wise and good. Think about, what does it mean to lead? What does it mean to lead? To sort of be ahead of the curve, as it were. To, to understand the times. What does that take? A deep knowledge of the Word of God and a growing understanding of what's happening in the culture. Being really in tune with your own heart. Let us trust that these gifts are also among the present gifts of Christ for his church. Let us not be afraid, but in faith and confidence raise up another generation for the communion of the saints to continue and pray for their development among us. And let those who are placed in positions of authority, that includes all the parents, all the office bearers, all the teachers, all the employers, let us all trust in Christ and serve him well, doing this work not for ourselves, but for his glory. And the miracle of church fellowship, then, a gift of Christ, should never be taken for granted, but nurtured and served and developed with some forethought and commitment and zeal by keeping in step with the Spirit through the Word. You can't take church membership or fellowship for granted. You must contribute. 
Well, then finally, in the fullness of the Spirit, we confess the miracle of church sponsorship, the forgiveness of sins. And you ask yourself, what do you mean by church sponsorship? Is this about refugee families and sponsoring a refugee family to come from another country? Sadly, the number of families that can be sponsored is is being limited by the government, and there are so many Christians who have legitimate claims and languished for decades in in, uh, refugee camps. Well, that helps us understand the point. Helps us understand what we mean by the miracle of church sponsorship. Here in Canada, when a church acts as a sponsor, it makes a pledge or a promise on behalf of the people who are sponsored. So you sponsor your family, your individual to come here, and you promise to the government that you will take care of them in terms of providing for them a place to live, food, clothing, etc., helping them enroll in school or find a job, usually for 12 months. And this is one of the quite wise um, decisions of, of government to put something closest to those who are most affected and closest to the situation. That's always where the best decisions are made. And so the church promises this and then is responsible to live up fully to its promises. Now that's really an illustration because the miracle of church sponsorship that I'm thinking of is a different one. We all have a sponsor as well. One who has pledged and promised on our behalf, one who has stood in our place. And Isaiah prophesied about the servant of the Lord just a few chapters before the one that we were reading. In chapter 49, in verse 8, the servant of the Lord, and the Lord through him says, chapter 49, verse 8, In the acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you, and notice in our translation, the you is getting an uppercase Y in each case to indicate something for us. I'll preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. I'll make you to be a covenant for the people and One worthy commentator wrote that this can only apply to Jesus Christ. He was not so much his own as ours, for he neither came nor died nor rose again for himself. He was sent for the salvation of the church. He seeks nothing as his own, for he doesn't need anything. He's complete as Savior and Lord. And accordingly, God makes promises to the whole body of the church and Christ who occupies the place of mediator as sponsor. Christ as our sponsor receives these promises of God and does not plead on behalf of himself as an individual but of the whole church for whose salvation he was sent. Therefore, God does not address Christ separately. Here when he says, I'll make you as a covenant for the people, but as one joined and continually united to his body. So the miracle of church sponsorship is that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, 
will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. That is to say that the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will undertake to fulfill for them all that you require and to provide for them all that they need. Our sponsor, who gives us the forgiveness of sins and the fullness of the Spirit, and we can confess this because we have a sponsor, one who made a pledge on our behalf to God, who undertook to meet our obligations with God, who paid our debts, who taught us what our heavenly citizenship entails, and gave his spirit to walk us to school and bring us to work and help us lead devotions and provide us with all things necessary for body and soul. So in the fullness of the Spirit, we confess the miracle of Christ's present and ongoing work until his return. Church membership and church fellowship are already wonderful. They're miracles, but both rest on this greater miracle of church sponsorship. Christ as sponsor took full responsibility for us, and he continues to do this every day until the end of the world. Does that give you some encouragement this afternoon? Some strength to go on? May each one of us rest in this Lord Jesus Christ and continue as living members of his church. Make good use of the gifts he has given us to lead this world and his church in good ways. And seek then to form leaders. Develop your children's spiritual gifts. And continue to nurture your faith by his spirit and word. Don't just glibly say you will forever be a member, living member of his church. No, say it only as you go back to the word and believe the promises. Jesus said it. His spirit has sealed it for me. I believe it. Amen.